I'll tell you what. I love it. I'll tell you what from uh, Jody correspondent Jody. Yeah. She has to yeah. say that she loves when you say a new word. You have a certain uh, motherfucker. Yeah, you have a certain <laughs> yeah. Genesequa about yourself. Yeah. If you that makes to, sense. You need to hook us up with the meaning of Genesequa. A je ne sais quoi, kind of yeah. like a uh, a comete piece, kind of like a a shinko pipo. Now I'm just being racist. Oh, okay. That's, oh. Now oh. I'm just doing Chinese stuff. And I'm bogus yeah. too. Which you were going you? along with it. Yeah, I thought it was the real como se coca. Como se coca. Mi ritmo. That's a good song. I like that one. Mm. That is uh, Tito. Puentes, Oye Como Va. Mm. It's a good one. It's a good one. Mm. Herschel, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast yeah. X. X. My name is Adam. Uh, my week has been great. Um. I just picked up Nevada correspondent slash girlfriend Kylie from the podcast. Mm. I mean, from the airport, not the podcast. Mm. She got her luggage lost, and she is the first ever guest listener. Mm. There's been guests on the show before, but there's never been somebody just hanging out. And that is simply due to microphone shortage, not sexism. Okay, so we popped the cherry on that one. Yeah. Bumblebug X. Bumblebug Podcast X. Yep. First guest. Mm-hmm. First guest listener. First in-studio guest. That's there's huge. a lot of titles. There's a lot of titles. That's there. huge. Herschel, do you want to get down to business? <sighs> Let's do it. All right. Let's play the feud. Picking up right where we left off last week, mm-hmm. David Carpenter had just stabbed Barbara Schwartz 16 times in front of another hiker. Mm. In his haste to flee the scene, he'd lost his prison-issued glasses, which were fitted with a very strange and unique prescription, and they had serial numbers on the frames. Mm-hmm. In an effort to trace the glasses, investigators made up thousands of copies of wanted posters with the glasses front and center. They think they just go... I think that's a pretty funny image to see like an old timey yeah, Western dude, wanted poster uh, with glasses in them. <laughs> dude, I'm gonna walk straight past that poster. Oh yeah, certainly. I don't think it's like a advertisement. They try, yeah, sell us yeah. something. Buy one get one glasses. Why would I want those serial fucking? Yeah, those are the ugliest things I've yeah, ever seen. They look like serial killers will fucking wear them. Yeah. These posters were distributed to every optometrist they could get contact info for. Unfortunately for police, Dr. Wright, the optician that had fitted David, did not get one. On Tuesday, March 11th, 1980, three days after Barbara's murder, two high school kids were playing around on the upper slopes of Tamil Pius mm. when a bright glint from the underbrush attracted their attention. Mm. It was Carpenter's blood-encrusted boning knife, still with the Safeway sticker on the handle. So he tried to kill some kids or some shit? Nope. He threw away his knife from stabbing Barbara. Yeah, and they saw it. So the kids had enough common sense not to touch the weapon, and they found the first adults they could for help, which happened to be an Oakland news team. The boys watched, stunned and horrified, as the news crew ran over to the knife and started handling it to get a better camera view. So Uh, whatever kids were smart enough. And these fucking idiots. Well, whatever prints weren't uh, destroyed from being left nah, out was, for three man. days were certainly worthless now. Dude, he keeps getting away. Yeah. And all these fucks do. It's a, it's it's coincidence and, after coincidence. And I coincidence. chilled out. I calmed down from the first getting away. But now I'm back up. Yeah. Like, this shit has to fucking stop. Is it magic? Is he, like, casting spells on I, people? I feel, like he's, I feel like everybody's in cahoots with him. Oh. It's that deep. I feel like it. That's just, I mean, it's a story, but 
Carpenter at the same time was really working on an angle with this woman named Molly Purnell and would continue to for the next several months. As we've discussed, these serial killers are master manipulators. David got his hooks in Molly and did everything she wanted and several things above and beyond, like sending her two to four letters a day by mail and calling her every night. That's too much. His charms would wear off fast. I don't even text my wife like that. That would be ridiculous. And this is, and this was, they didn't even have And that's him. the mother of your children. Yeah. Hmm. Dang. 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 <laughs> Molly was dead broke and desperate. Carpenter looked like a knight in shining armor, but his true objective was hidden beneath piles of flowery scented shit. He wanted her to buy him a gun, specifically a Rossi 38 Special. His status as a convict, of course, prevented him from buying mm-hmm. his own weapons. Molly Purnell could not set limits or draw a line in the sand or really stand up for herself at all, and Carpenter knew this. From September 2nd to 12th, Carpenter called her four to five times a day and would stop by in the morning and evening to ask her to buy him that gun. He's he's probing. Molly didn't want a firearm in her name, but David would not drop it. He promised if there was ever a problem in the future, she could just say that it was stolen. She finally asked the $10 million question. Why do you want this gun so bad? For real. Well, guess what? He said he was going to go put in some work for the mafia in Las Vegas. And just like the prisoners in the jailbreak, when David tried to tell him he was the Zodiac, she did not believe, believe him, him at all. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. She'd be like, yeah, I'll get you the gun and never bring it up again. Yeah. But she needed, she should have did her own research because I don't think, I, even if something happens, you would have been had to report it that gun that's stolen. That's right. Yeah. If you, if, I'll tell you what. If you have a gun tied to your name, which mm-hmm. I do, you got to make sure you don't lose that without doing like a transfer of ownership or something. Right. But you, but still, you got to report it stolen. Absolutely. As soon as you, as soon as you realize it's missing. Because you go be suspect number one, even if you say some bullshit, oh, I didn't notice it was stolen. And that's fine. She's still suspect number one now. Still, when David pressed $260 into her palm and a coupon for a 38 Rossi for 199 she couldn't refuse. She was so behind on her bills and $60 in 1980 is $200 today. There was a 15-day wait period for firearm purchases in California, Mm -hmm. so Molly was still saddled with daily thirsty phone calls, letters, and visits. Finally, on October 4th, Molly received a call that everything had come back clean and she was free to retrieve her weapon. Mm. Molly called Carpenter over and watched as he loaded his new five-shot wheel gun in a black case and put it in his blue bag of tricks. Damn, he was ready already. Oh, yeah. You got that gun? Oh, yeah, I got it. Here I am. Yeah. I'm right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner. I was already <laughs> watching you anyway, so let me just go ahead and get that gun. Yeah. Well, that's not beating around the bush here. Right. That's true. She told him to stop coming around. There was something <laughs> seriously wrong with him. Hey, he and got the she... car. He's like, hey, don't come back. <laughs> that's what she did. She thought this would like sign the deal on their breakup. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Here's the big rub. Just that day, David had sent a love letter to Molly written to another woman. Mm-hmm. that's how she knew she'd been played for real she mm-hmm. didn't want nothing to do with them because he was writing these letters to every woman he could think of actually um my cousin used to do that he used to play girls like but, that well you know back in the day where you could just group text without actually group texting like everybody know who's everybody oh yeah that, that's what he used to do wow yeah. he would just group text the same fucking thing did it work yeah, yeah they would be texting them back like Dude, he would do. Obviously, you know, once they get the text, they're gonna send. So through the day, you know, he'd just be playing the game and shit. Yeah, 
You should listen to the Bumblebutt Podcast Prime. That's what I'll call the original. Amazon? We'll call that <laughs> the Bumblebutt Podcast original Lonely Hearts Killers. That's a mm. that's a good episode because that's the same thing. That shit, they used to have Lonely Hearts Clubs, which were letter writing clubs where you would try and like a match dot com before the internet. Mm. On October 11th, a young couple went for a hike at Point Reyes National Seashore in California. Rick Stowers was a 19-year-old Coast Guardman whose life had been changed dramatically since boot camp. He was in love with 18-year-old Cynthia Moreland, mm. and the two were hiking as he tried to convince her the to 18, join the Coasties. 18, dude. To me, they say it's legal, but to me, that's... Well, 18 and 19. I hear you. They're the you. same age. I hear you, but I feel like you're when you date somebody eighteen. I feel like you look at you. You can easily go into the he deep. He was nineteen. Nineteen. Cut that out. Okay. My bad. He was nineteen. She was eighteen. Okay. So they're my like bad. I get it. one year apart. No, that's that's fine. <laughs> they're the same. Person. Even if it's eighteen and seventeen, that's fine too. Yeah. But sixteen. That's a no. child. And I guess you would have to, depending on a mama eighteen and seventeen. But in my book, eighteen and seventeen. It's pretty much the same thing. Damn near right there. Yeah. 17, 18, 19, damn near all the same. (laughs) 19, though. That's different. Too old for you? I think so. Mm. 19 and 17? No. Because you already, to me, you already pushing it with 18 and 17. Mm. 19 and 17, yeah, that's no good. Yeah. All right, I see you. I see you. I see you. Between 1 and 2 p.m., hikers heard gunshots, which were immediately reported. A brief search would be conducted, but nothing was found. Mm, People would come up there and just blast. blast. Oh, that was normal. Okay. When the couple didn't return home, the Morelands reported the couple missing. Police refused to investigate because teenagers run away all the time. 95% of missing teens are indeed runaways. So it is the the, the, the law is the problem. Always. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) No, but they're the problem. They don't want to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. The two families, of course, didn't believe that they ran away. They both had futures, and Rick seemed like he wanted to make a career out of the Coast Guard for uh, both of them, for their future lives. Mm -hmm. Well, the Coast Guard, instead of searching for their missing brother, labeled him AWOL, and then a month later, a deserter. They would remain missing for a little while, but we'll Mm -hmm. get back to Sydney and Rick in a little bit. Let's do that. Two days later, Columbus Day was being celebrated, Monday, October 13th. Federal employees and yuppies alike had the day off, and some were taking advantage of that time on the beautiful mountain. John Henry was Mm -hmm. a live-in caretaker and greeter at the West Point Inn on the mountain. Mm -hmm. He locked up the inn for his hour-long end-of-day run at 5 p.m. About 100 feet from the inn, John Henry noticed a strange man in his late 40s, early 50s, hanging around in a Hawaiian shirt. He stood out like a sore thumb because everybody on this trail, especially after the heavy morning rain, was dressed the part of a hiker and not Magnum P.I. Right. Within his first 20 minutes, John Henry came across a pretty young blonde woman meditating on the Long Rocks at Mountain Theater, Mm. an amazing 5,000-seat natural amphitheater on the mountain. John didn't want to startle the woman, so he shuffled his feet and stomped louder than he needed to as he approached. The woman was lost in Zen meditation and didn't respond in the slightest. He turned around to tell her she should probably start heading for the trailhead before the sun goes down, Mm -hmm. but she looked so at peace that he just kept on jogging. Please, I would have told her, hey, hey, been shaking her shit. I would have grabbed a pan and a stick and been like, ding, 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 get out of here. How much is she into that shit? We're going to find out about this little yuppie. Okay, let's go. 
I don't mean to speak ill of the dead because she's like a perfect person, but also very trusting and naive, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. You gave away the story already. Whoopsies. I mean, no, you, but you know what? We kind of. I think we knew. Yeah. I think we knew where this one was going. Yeah. Tuesday, October 14th, some park rangers were combing a section of the mountain looking for razorback hogs that were decimating the Bolinas Ridge and polluting the watershed area with their shit. Mmm, those shits. Those hogs are disgusting. Yeah, they are. By afternoon, however, the hogs were abandoned in favor of the APB that was put out. There was a missing woman, and the rangers had 6,000 acres to cover before nightfall. The woman's white Toyota had been ticketed the night previous at 8 p.m. when the Mountain Theater officially closed. When the car was still there the following morning, the DMV sent back a report to the Rangers saying the car belonged to Dr. Ralph Alderson of San Rafael. Mm. As it turns out, the doctor had reported his daughter Ann Alderson missing the previous night. The, the police are just so bad. It's just the law period is so bad that they let everybody else do their job. The, the person, the eyeglass, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the eyeglass place did their job. The, the guy just now just did their job. Mm. Like, what David are they going to do? David gets to do his job, and the police, they just don't do their job. Oh, my God. Everybody, The game is being played, and the police are not playing. <laughs> and 26 was beautiful and strong. On top of being an avid hiker and weightlifter, Anne had a master's degree in animal husbandry and spent a lot of her free time volunteering as a vet tech. Her dad expected her home at 3 p.m., and it was not even close to her nature to be late. So by 9 p.m. is when he reported her. Hell yeah, he was scared. Looking through the trunk of Ann's car, detectives found her red leather purse with ID and money, along with a pair of hiking boots and socks. I wonder, did he bring that back to the car? Or... Hmm. Well, Detective Herschel, how about we, uh, how about we, we see? Mountain Theater was designated the search and rescue HQ to find Anne, and parties were sent in every direction to comb acre after acre. Mm. Within an hour, workers had uncovered three witnesses who had seen the missing woman on the day of her death. One was, of course, John Henry the jogger. Mm. Right. The second was a woman who saw Anne in the amphitheater meditating just minutes before John, and the third saw her after John while she was walking back in the direction of her car. She was about half a mile from where Etta Kane from last episode was found. Mm -hmm. She was the one who had a forty-four shot in the center of the back of her right, head. Right, the one that probably didn't want to do anything. That's right. Refused. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just my detective work. I, I appreciate yeah. it, Batman. Mm -hmm. When darkness settled on the mountain, the search was halted for the night. Detectives knew they were going to keep catching bodies until the killer was found. Or he killed himself. At dawn, the searchers again bounded off. Uh, it wasn't until 2.50 that afternoon when Melvin Moose Muzenik found his way down to a seldom-used service road. Through the weeds and crickets a quarter mile from the amphitheater, Jimmy the crickets. Moose found Anne. She was just off the path and, like Etta, had been shot only once, mm. although Anne was shot through the right side of the head instead of through the back. Anne was face up, propped against a gray-green rock that was splattered red with blood. Her upper body was half-turned, like she was trying to talk to somebody that was facing her, right? Uh, she was still clothed, wearing a purple blouse, a rough fabric blue-knit sweater, a necklace, and calf-high leather boots. The only thing missing was her right gold earring, and that was from the gunshot. Just Blew it off her ear. Yeah. Oh, okay, there was a bullet fragment about 12 inches from her right boot. Pubic hair combings, the victim's semen-soaked panties, and a vaginal swab would be sent out for forensic testing. Investigators were positive that the killer on the trails was back, 
and like the Tamil Indians, mm. the mountain's original residence, police closed the upper mountain. Mm, that's good. I think so. So think he made her get there? dressed again. He raped her and then you made thought, her get uh, dressed. You thought that and was it? I that's was what thinking happened. that he, he called her, her. meditating. This is what I think. He called her meditating. He was also trying to get a hold of her, but she was still meditating. So he picked her up, took her somewhere while she was still meditating. And then finally she broke out of the trance. She's like, where am I? Yeah, like what? Yeah. And it, you dumb. And then yeah. he just did it. She thought he. She thought she was like floating away. She's like, I've, yeah. I've reached the ultimate so, form. But he, she was in deep thought because she didn't even give a fuck. She didn't even give a fuck. It seemed like it because mm. you know, I mean, did, she was trusting. She was naive. No, but didn't they have wanted posters? I mean, for the sunglasses. For the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> what is that gonna do? Damn, does that a pencil? <laughs> glasses running through the woods. <laughs> no, she was walking back to her car like a person would do, and then this sick fuck mm-hmm. did bad stuff to her, and then made her get dressed, and then executed her. Yeah, but bad police work. Man. It's bad police work. Like they like, dude, what the fuck glasses go do? Like they coming out like, you know, what's what's that shit to be at, at the theater when they show the raisins dancing or some shit? Let's all go to the yeah. lobby. That's how the damn glasses are. Like yeah. they can just get up and dance. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yes, and kill my Have you seen my owner? Like, I'm the glasses. On, like stop it. Lead detective Howenstein sat down at his desk. Autopsy, ballistics, and semen test results were in front of him. Since Etta was killed with a 44 and Anne a 38, there was no ballistic link. But guess what? There were links. From the position of the bodies, both mm-hmm. looking as if they were forced to plead for their lives before mm-hmm. they were executed, detectives asked for a list of recently paroled prisoners with a history of sex crimes. That's a great idea, right? Yeah. Well, the Department of Prisons sent out two lists, and wouldn't you know it, for some reason, Carpenter's name was not no, on either one. So there you go. More luck. Well, more so did, bad police did, work. Did he get his shit expunged or some shit? Nope. He had he served time and they, they was supposed to his name was supposed to be on that list. Man. But somehow, tell me nobody in cahoots with this dude. But then see now that's where you're wrong. Because yes, this all looks like that, right? But the actual simple explanation of mm-hmm. incompetence and people not giving a fuck at their jobs mm-hmm. is the actual problem here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say anybody's doing anything nefarious. Just, this is just laziness, and people want to go home and eat dinner. I mean, I could dig that. Oh, I think it's just bullshit, to be honest. But, man, everybody, though? There's a few key people that'll break this thing wide open. One of them's a 12-year-old girl. I hate to spoil that, but Jesus. No. She's a detective. We need some girl power in this <laughs> shit. The trailside killer was about to move 42.6 miles from Tamil Pius to the mm-hmm. peninsula of Point Reyes. Point Reyes National Seashore, to be exact. It had miles and miles of trails that would have you walking through deep forest sections that opened up into beautiful seascapes before canopying forest enveloped you once again. And this is, that's why that's, he, that's what people come. The motherfuckers is wanting to get out, especially this pandemic, motherfuckers want to get out. Mm. Not that there was a pandemic going on, but man, this is the place to be. Hit the trails. You can solo activity. And it's like they, they don't even, and that's why I say they don't even give a fuck anymore. We don't give a fuck. Somebody's Brilliant. killing. Somebody's killing. Let's just keep going. Keep walking. They they catch them. Yeah, the more bodies, your body gonna help them catch them. Yeah, yeah. your evidence. Yeah. Will. So go ahead. The bullets they pull out of your head will certainly <laughs> help us find yeah. this monster. All right, let's do our jobs. <laughs> After his arrest, police would recreate Carpenter's movements. 
he would have had his choice hunting both the Sky Trail and the Bear Valley Trail. Sky Trail is two miles long, steep to the point of treacherous, Mm. and was for experienced hikers only. Mm. Bear Valley Trail was an old wagon road and as such was practically flat. It was the most popular and was usually packed on the weekends. Well, he's a bitch, so. He's a little bit of a bitch. So he's not going to go. Well, let's check it out. Okay, I bet. Diane Marie O'Connell, a small blonde from San Jose who had just graduated Cornell, was visiting her friends in Oakland the day after Thanksgiving. One of the friends suggested going to hike the Sky Trail to burn off some Thanksgiving calories. Mm. Diane and her friends Sharon and Nancy hit the trail at 10 a.m. and broke for water and light snacks around 11.45 in a beautiful meadow right off the trail. Above the three women on Sky Trail was a man in a green ball cap and carrying something blue. He was spotted by another hiker and described as about 50 and acting strange with an angry look on his face. Then they could see that from where they were? Well, well this, the, this the was other, another this hiker that right, passed him. Other hiker. I'm about to say, but okay, oh, yeah, you, can spot the gray, yeah. you can spot the green ball cap. That definitely sticks out. It's an color. Oakland A's cap too, yeah. So it's green with the yellow bill. Man, I love Oakland A's I love cap. the Oakland A's colors, to be honest. For some reason, yeah. it just goes well with my, my undertone. Your aesthetic? Your, your chocolatey aesthetic? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know why. Well, you got beautiful skin. Thank I'll tell you that much. I'm going to spruce it up. I like it. Especially when you got the cocoa butter. The co- Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the Palmer's. Shit's expensive, though. Yeah, Palmer's. Hope the serial killer uses cocoa butter. <laughs> it was 1.30 p.m. when the three women got on the move once again. David had gone on ahead, scouting their likely route. As the women got to a series of steep switchbacks, the girls were separated by about 100 yards apiece. Mm. Sharon was in the lead then Diane in the middle, and Nancy bringing up the rear. Sharon remembers being passed by better hikers several times on the switchbacks, (laughs) but never a solo male. She soon got through the last of the hard parts, and a gorgeous open meadow was the natural reward for the difficult hike. At the end of the meadow, the trees made a tunnel around the path, and Sharon saw something moving in the tree line. It startled her. She fell to the ground, and uh, the man was facing into some bushes. He called out in a clear, calm, unstuttering voice Uh that he had only stopped off the trail to piss. He didn't mean to startle her. Sharon quickly collected herself and upped her pace to get away from the guy. Farther up the trail, Sharon passed another hiker who was headed in the opposite direction named Shauna May. She yelled out a cheery hello as they passed. Sharon got to the end of the trail and sat against a fence post. Her senses were turned up to 11. Only, oh my god. Here's, uh, we're gonna get to it, let me get through this, and then we can talk about how much of a fucking cunt Sharon is, okay? Like, bro, you you that jealous? I'll show you. I, I, was, I don't know if she was jealous or not. Not jealous. But, but no, I'm just saying to pass another woman, because to me... Say something. Yeah, bro. Like, yo, don't we'll go talk, that way. Hey, we're gonna yeah. talk about how much of a cunt she is, because she okay. also left two of her friends behind, too. Ooh. When she heard footsteps, she looked up, expecting Diane, since she was in the middle, but was startled to see Nancy, who was in the, who was at the end. Mm-hmm. Even worse, mm-hmm. when Sharon asked about the hiker, Shauna May, going in the opposite direction, Nancy didn't see her either. Nancy and Sharon went back up the trail to look around a little, and then came back down to the trailhead and waited three pivotal hours before deciding to go to Park Rangers to okay. report Diane missing. Okay, don't be my friend if this is your attitude, Herschel. You have okay. to go back for your friends when there's fucking serial no. killers afoot. You do. You have to. And especially, you have to warn the lady going in Especially the when, okay, if you by yourself, maybe you, okay. But if you got two, oh, we, we gotta go. 
strange pissing man that you think that is it really giving you bad bad vibes. It was him. You have to go back. You yeah. have to go back. You're just a cunt, Sharon. It and then him. waiting three hours to go to the park rangers. I want that cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. I mean it had to be a play, right? <laughs> I don't know. California Meadows. Yeah. Shit. From David's point of view, he was laying in the brittle hollow reeds just off the path. He felt like he could see, hear, and smell everything, like a wolf about to strike. He heard light, joyous footsteps bounding up the trail. He hoped this was the hot blonde who was eating lunch with her two ugly friends. (laughs) The happy walker descended down to right in front of Carpenter's hiding spot. He stood up, gun drawn, and Mm. finger to his lips, motioning Diane towards him. Since all of his senses were so up and focused on her, he didn't hear Shauna May coming until she was basically face-to-face with him. Furious, David forced Shauna into the undergrowth along with Diane, told them to keep walking. Thick branches tore at their clothes, hair, and skin before the growth finally gave way to an open gully. Dude, I would have ran. You can't shoot both of us. Don't go with people when they're trying. Like, kill me. I'm just saying. Kill me first. I'm not going to a second location. Like, he's not going to shoot. You make it too much noise when you shoot. So, if it's every man for themselves, if that's how you want to play it. And he's it, only got five shots. If you're the only one that runs, he's not going to do anything. I'm not getting away. Well, yeah, the other one's not going to get away. Where am I going to run? How am I? I can't run fast. Oh, bring hell! Here's a, I'll get two steps and it'll wipe my ass up. Yeah, dude. I'm telling you. I need to get on the treadmill. <laughs> you would have been out of there with that shit, though. Anybody got a gun to you? That's that adrenaline. At a few minutes past 3 p.m., he forced each woman to strip and fold all their clothes neatly and place them in a pile on their backpack. As he made them kneel naked, he took out a roll of picture wire from his blue bag of tricks. Mm. At 3.10 p.m., a party of hikers consisting of stockbrokers and engineers on a corporate retreat to Point Reyes heard two crisp gunshots. One of the engineers looked at his watch and noted the exact time of the shots, Mm, thinking quickly that it would be something investigators would like to know. Precisely 50 seconds later, the sound was repeated. Another two shots. The hikers made no effort to investigate further, but they did run directly for help. That's well, great. No, that's good cool. job. So everybody else doing it. This, this may be good for the investigators. Like, oh, look at these engineers. They, they can do our job better than us. Yeah, the shots happen at 12.15. We don't need that. David mindlessly went through the procedure of covering up his trail at the crime scene, masking footprints and looking for anything he could have dropped. Finally, at five, when Diane's idiot friends reported her missing, there were already two four-man ranger teams combing the area of the gunshots. Now that they knew there was a girl missing, the experienced rangers deduced that the two were certainly related. It was shut down till first light once again. We've seen this one every once in a while. And uh, investigators from neighboring counties as well as two Coast Guard helicopters joined in on the search. One of the searchers was a high school teacher named Glenn, who was a part of a volunteer group of 11, that were really good at canvassing areas. Ooh, they on his ass. They're on him. They're really good at canvassing. Like, oh no, we good. We could do this shit yeah. by ourselves. They have they had a special radio and everything that they would get called in to do searches. Oh, so that's they how good specialists pretty much. Yeah, and they were all volunteers. He was a teacher, a high school teacher. Oh yeah, when they ooh volunteers too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they doing that shit for the love, for the love of the game, for the love of money. For the love. Yeah. Not I'm pretty sure money. they still got some I don't think so. kind of compensation. I bet it's probably to feel Whether good. Whether it be free dinner or... Feel good. I know, but still, you can't leave nobody high and dry. You just found somebody or whatever the case is. Buy them a dinner? Yeah, it's uh-huh. dinner or something. Yeah. Perks. You know that, you know, like, they're probably 
can't eat that much because they've been lost on a mountain for a few days. <laughs> Their stomach shrunk quite yeah. a bit, but you can't go gun yeah. on the food. I bet they'd still buy you dinner as long as they didn't light all their money on fire to stay warm. <laughs> Within five minutes at the far end of a dense grove, he saw something strange. A white object sticking straight up. After standing still and studying the object from a distance, an intense putrid smell filled his nostrils. The white object was a tennis shoe still attached to a dead person. As he got closer, it was actually two victims that had been there quite a while. They were so badly decomposed that it was impossible to tell the gender only that they were fully clothed and face down in the tattered remains of t-shirts, jeans, and running shoes. These were obviously not the bodies they were looking for, and as the news spread, everyone was horrified. An investigator descended down the scene and started taking pictures and interviewing Glenn on his discovery. Do they say how far that was off the trail? This is not too far off the trail and not too far where they're going to find I just feel like the rangers was probably being a little lazy too if you... Little lazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, they if this if it's been there. I mean, that what's long, their job? Put out forest fires. It That's is like what their job. It is a lot of brush too. No. Yeah. You could easily overlook some shit. Six thousand acres. Yeah. Can you imagine? You, no, nah, you could easily. Overlook the only some part shit. that's actually manicured is the trail. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just thick. I wouldn't like it. Well, it, I mean, I would like to go there, but I wouldn't like to hack through underbrush. I mean, this it has its um charm, allure. Well, je ne sais quoi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The teacher was feeling super nauseous and had to take a small walk to clear his head, and that's where he stumbled upon the murder scene of the bodies they were looking for. So he had to go. Diane and Shauna May. He found all four bodies in like ten minutes of each other. The two women were lying face down, naked, at the bottom of a drainage gully, side by side. One of them had their arm over the other as if to comfort. Placed at the top of their heads were their neatly folded clothes on top of their backpacks. Mm. There were odd razor-thin bruises visible on Diane's neck, which would later be determined to be caused by picture wire. Because of blood vessels burst in her face, it was determined she was strangled with it. A pair of panties had been stuffed in her mouth, and she had one bullet hole in her head. Shauna May's wrists had bruising similar to Diane's neck. A pair of panties lay on the ground near Shauna's head, clearly having been blown out of her mouth by the two shots that she got. Mm. Now, let's talk about the two badly decomposed people that were accidentally found during the search. Mm. We already know them as Rick Stowers and Cindy Moreland, the 18 and 19-year-old that launched us off on a weird conversation for a while. The doctors on scene's opinions uh, varied wildly, some claiming they had been dead for four weeks, while others were saying six months at least. Well... In Rick's pocket was the piece of evidence that would prove to the day how long they'd been dead. Huzzah! Car keys. A small chocolate brown Toyota Corolla had been sitting in the Point Reyes parking lot for the past six weeks. Mm. It was parked in front of a white log and facing towards Bear Valley Trail. Those Toyota Corollas could really blend in, too. Oh, yeah. And guess what? The park ranger, they they were trying to cover their own ass with the detectives. Uh-huh. They said, no, man, that thing has moved like four times. No. no that, the battery was dead, and it had sat yeah. there for six weeks. Mm. When detectives tried the key in the door, it turned free and easy. Battery, of course, dead. But under the seats were the purse and wallet with IDs for Rick and Cindy. Mm. With this discovery, at least Rick was no longer considered a deserter and was given an honorable discharge. Mm, that's good. Cleared his name, but yep. he's dead. Yeah, cleared his name after he they had, fucked yeah. him over. You know, they could have done some work to find yeah. him, the Coast Guard. Yeah. They're right there. I thought they supposed to, to uh, you know. Look for their buddies. 
You they, think so? When they go AWOL? No, they yeah. said AWOL and then deserter after a month. Because they figured him and Cindy got married and, and ran away from the service, even though he wanted to be like a career man. All this shit is government, though, ain't it's it? It's all government. So they would know if he got married. Oh, wait. No, run away. Like, you know what an elopement is? Oh, yeah, but it's not official. We, but we, we, we. You know the monks? They get married that way. Well, with some money. Here's the thing. When you back up six weeks from the date of discovery, that was also the weekend Ann Alderson was killed. Detectives were horrified when the pieces started falling into place. This was the same murderer from Mount Tamalpais. Mm-hmm. Fresh slugs were removed from Denise, Shauna, Cindy, and Rick and were compared to the bullet found in Ann Alderson. And wouldn't you know it, the size, weight, and markings were a perfect fit for a 38 special. The Christmas hustle and bustle was in full swing on December 20th, 1980. David Carpenter stood outside Glen Park Central Savings and Loan, mm. shielding his eyes with his hand in order to see through the big plate glass windows. He could see Kelly Manyavar, a part-time teller he had a crush on. David had met Kelly about a year and a half ago and had convinced her that he was an expert bookkeeper who could get her lessons to get her promoted farther in the bank. <laughs> After her shift... Kelly stood talking to David out front until her mother Juanita came to get her. Because of his stutter, Juanita knew her gracious daughter was especially kind and sympathetic to him. Kelly was 17 and did not look it. Okay? Mm. She did not look it. I'll show you a picture. Mm -hmm. That sounds creepy. But uh, other customers of the bank were uh, asked about it afterwards, and they figured the lowest age they gave was 24. Like, Mm. she was a knockout. She was beautiful. She She looked like a full-ass woman. That's just, I don't know. I would have to see it. I think that's just I'll show you a picture. Too. She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I mean, to She's me, dead. I feel like I, I could see it. But yeah, just show me the picture. She looks like an adult. Eight days later, on December 28th, Kelly disappeared from her own bed somewhere between the hours of 6 and 9 a.m. Kelly's purse was still on her dresser with her uncashed paycheck and ID still in it. If she were going to run, she would definitely have taken those. You can already guess what police considered Kelly when Juanita called her in. Just another straight-up teen runaway. Especially because neighbors had heard the mother and daughter fighting over the keeping of a pet rabbit that was given to her by a boyfriend. Let me jump to conclusions too quick. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Run, though. He run away. Oh, he went AWOL. Oh, Mm. he... It's just that evil. easy Mm. just to blame the person. It's all because they didn't want to go drive and look into something. Because what would she need to run for? She was You said she looked 24, and she was, that mean, obviously, the motherfuckers was probably on her. She got anything she wanted. Why would you need to run away from that? And you in California. Preaching to the choir, my man. And it's cocaine. It's always cocaine. On January 8th, 1981, Sister Mary Pike, who was one of Kelly's teachers, swore she looked out of the bus window and saw Kelly. The sister shouted and waved. The girl didn't turn. Mm. On both January 10th and 17th, a horse owner in Daly City swore up and down to police that Kelly had just been there and he'd even let her have a ride on one of his horses. She was even dressed in her Catholic school uniform. Mm. To the police, this was definitive proof that Kelly was out there safe and on her own as a runaway. But Juanita had just found her daughter's school uniform hanging in the back of her closet. (laughs) David was absolutely smitten by a woman named Candy. For months, he'd been under the assumption they were in a serious relationship, and she didn't do or say anything to make him think different. Mm. They had a joint checking and savings account, and he'd just proposed to her with a diamond ring. And the the diamond was very small and fell out, but that's not important. No, it's not. 
But by the later parts of March, Candy wasn't sure she could keep this up anymore. David Chevy was an absolute gas guzzler. And at this time in America, (laughs) there were gas shortages and gas lines. Mm -hmm. Carpenter borrowed $1,000 from his dad, Elwood, and bought himself a used Fiat 124 four-door sedan. The car needed smog equipment installed, so David Candy dropped it off at the mechanic, went next door to the sporting goods store to wait. Candy specifically wanted a new pair of Adidas running shoes, and since they were there, David saw an end cap deal with decent Nikes for about 1997. My boy. They had a triple herringbone tread pattern with 28 ridges on the bottom for traction. Mm. The woman at the checkout noticed the pair's age difference and saw they were paying with a joint checking account. She checked the man's driver's license, initialed the check, check number 00613, and put it in the register. Mm. Carpenter and Candy picked up the Fiat from the mechanics at 2.15, and David put his new shoes in his bag of tricks. Tomorrow, March 29th, would prove to be a bloody one. Oh, man. That's where he comes out. What, he gets like three murders? Like a fucking basketball card. Herschel, did you read my notes? Did you go into Google Docs and just start clicking around? <laughs> what, because I unlocked prick. the fucking trap card? Will you stop activating every one of my fucking trap cards? Ellen Marie Hansen had wanted to be an author since she was just 10 years old and had written enough poetry to fill a library in the past 11 years. The sophomore at UC Davis was majoring in sociology, but her parents both knew that she'd stop at nothing up to and including homelessness to become a writer. Mm. One day, Ellen's mother saw an ad for discount plane tickets to Hawaii in the paper. She figured, what the heck? We've been talking about it for years. Why not now? Yeah, why not? Ellen had finals coming up, but she was acing all of her classes and told her ma that she'd rather get B's studying in paradise than A's studying here. Who wouldn't? Ellen's boyfriend, Steve Hurdle, couldn't go to Hawaii because Mm -hmm. of work and school, so the couple went on a quick two-day hiking getaway to Henry Cowell Redwood State Park for March 28th and 29th. Although it was technically still monsoon season, and would be for another month, it was a perfect, clear, cool day. That's cool. The couple couple pulled into the ranger station to get maps and pay for an overnight campsite. On their second and final day, Ellen's spirits were at an all-time high. She was with her lovely boyfriend, looking at the coolest trees in existence, and about to get on a plane for Hawaii right after. Yeah, this is... It's just up. a good day, right? But it's definitely set up for some shit about it's just to a, It's just a good, fun day. Wait, now let's go back. So it's monsoon season. That's the way you could get fucked up. Eh, it just means it's rainy. But still, hiking wouldn't rain. It's sure, Add a sure. little. And then you know that motherfuckers are still killing out here. So it's like, what do you do? Do you just like the thrill of just... It's got to be a deal. We going to get on a plane and go to Hawaii. You know, scratch-offs are illegal in Nevada, where uh, where Kylie comes from, right? So last night, we went and played mm. scratchers in the parking lot at a convenience store for a mm. while. Same it's totally thing. Totally legal. They just love the gambling. So these mm. maybe these hikers, they love gambling, too. Yeah, I guess you would have to, because that hiking shit. For the love of money. You ever been hiking? Yeah. What? I'm a white guy. That's about like real. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're a white guy. White guy. I've never been hiking unless it was. You're a black never. guy. Unless it was to the store. To you you grew up in the concrete jungle, Herschel. Chicago. I mean, there's nowhere to hike. I mean, I've had opportunities. You're in the like you're now, in South Side Chicago. But where am I now? Right now, you can hike. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but you got six kids and a no, wife. No, that's I can still go hiking, but I'm not going hiking. Okay. Line for in this, the sand for this reason though. Unlike Molly Purnell, 
you can draw a line in the sand. So I like that about you. I'm just saying, like, yeah, you do. You got to have your back up against the wall so that way you know nobody's coming from that way. Mm. When you go hiking, mm. no. Always are open you for worry. You got to worry. You got to worry about everything, not just man. You got to worry about the beast. It's poison. What else? Regular rocks. Starvation. Oh, you don't want to break an ankle and then stay out there and starve. Then you're just coyote food. And all you got to do is just it's just going to be you, the cocaine. And How long is that going to last? You know, you're making a lot of good points here. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. As the couple took their final hike before packing up the camp, a man appeared out of nowhere in the middle of the path. They all kept walking toward each other, Steve on the left, Ellen on the right, and the man coming the other way right up the middle. Uh, the man, of course, was mm-hmm. David. As they intersected, David reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out a pistol. If you don't want to get hurt, do what I say and put your hands on your head. Steve walked towards the attacker and put himself between Ellen and the gun. Mm. He reached in his back pocket and was dismayed to find that his wallet was back at the campsite. Uh, He thought they were being robbed. David Mm -hmm. says, "Uh, I don't want your money. I want to rape her. Ellen was bobbing and weaving, trying to keep the muzzle of the gun moving, Mm. which it was following her face. David tried ushering them off the trail into the growth. Ellen said, I won't be raped. Steve, don't listen to this fucker. He's going to kill us both anyways. Yeah. Ellen walked up to the gunman with her hands out, attempting to take the pistol. Steve heard two shots and then experienced what it must feel like to take an HBK sledgehammer to the throat. What happened was Carpenter fired twice at Ellen and twice at Steve. Steve only heard the two shots that hit Ellen because the one that hit him tore through his neck cut the main artery in his right arm, and came to rest in his sternum about two inches away from his heart. Boy, when that adrenaline's pumping, you can show, get some shots in. Steve blacked out for one minute, and when he came to, he struggled to lift his head. Ellen was right next to him, and seemed to be floating in a pool of blood. He lifted her head, but could tell immediately she was gone. Mm. David was standing on the trail with his back to them. Steve somehow managed to pull himself to his feet and stagger run up the trail. He forced each foot forward, running and swaying from pain and blood loss. He came to an observation deck, stumbling up to two hikers who were terrified because he looked like a zombie. He just started screaming, I've been shot and he killed my girlfriend. One of the hikers, without thinking, took off to the ranger station to help, while the other sprinted headfirst into the danger to try and scatter anyone else on the trail to safety. Steve was laid out on a redwood picnic table. Thankfully, one of the hikers on the observation deck was a trained ER nurse named Maureen Mm. Thorpe. Mm. As she examined the wound, she heard soft footsteps behind her. Steve, with great effort, lifted his head. His eyes became as wide as dinner plates. He hopped up to a standing position, just off pure adrenaline, Mm -hmm. and said, Lady, that's the guy that shot me. You gotta run. Steve went as fast as he could down the trail, and Maureen turned and saw a man just calmly walk past the table, but never once turned towards her. Steve was running again, trying to get back to his campsite and his car to get the fuck out of there. Hell yeah. Maureen ran the other way to check on Ellen. She had been found, and two hikers had already put their jackets over her. There was no pulse and nothing to be done. Steve got back to his campsite and collapsed unconscious. A couple in the adjacent site threw him in the back of their camper van and hauled ass to the hospital. Uh-huh. Marine saw this happen, and a hundred yards away saw the man who had passed the picnic table get into a red, boxy, four-door foreign car, mm-hmm. lay on the horn, and skirt off. She says, His eyes lined up with mine in his rear view as he sped away. That was the man that scared Steven so much. Yeah, that's him. 
Melissa, a 12-year-old girl, was playing in the cul-de-sac in front of her house. David's red Fiat came speeding down the street, obviously having taken a wrong turn. Melissa saw the driver as frantic, balding, and sweaty. I'm uh, two of those three right now, I'll tell you that much. He finally got himself turned around and roared the tiny engine out onto Highway 17. When police came around for questioning, Melissa was having an ice cream sandwich and riding around on her bike. Mm. She would be the witness that would break this shit open. (laughs) The little girl was super into cars, and she really, really wanted a red Fiat. So that's the perfect fucking witness. Like, why this big fuck is in this goddamn small ass car? My little 124. That's why he was sweating. Oh, for sure. For sure. He tried not to catch cramps. Remember my Buick? I'd be sweating in that motherfucker. That thing. But that that was at least bigger than that. Thing. Yeah, people used to make fun of me though. They're like, "What happens if they you get drive by? They was just how are you going to hide from the drive by? You they can't lay down. Hitting. You had one of the most popular cars. In the I house. like that century. It was a little bit of a dope boy car though. Unfortunately, you had the most popular car. In the no, no. She knew the exact car she was looking at, so police took her down to the Fiat dealership and had her look through brochures until she found the model. Then they took mm. her over to the paint wall to have her pick out the color. They uh, fucked up for that. They probably thought she was gonna be able to build a Fiat. Dude, build when I was reading this shit, I was like, I was like, man, I really thought they were gonna buy her a car <laughs> for know? all her help. No, Thanks. Go take ass back to the ice yeah. cream. Yeah, yeah. Here, have fun with your bike and man. ice cream. When what detectives bitches. really want? <clears throat> Fucking bitches. What detectives really wanted was to hypnotize the girl in order to get the plate number out of her head. Her parents were staunch Jehovah's Witness and would not allow it. Mm. It turned out for the best, though, as that shit is not allowable in court. Hypnotizing because it's fucking bullshit pseudoscience. For 21 months so far, the trailside killer had practically swept the trails of hikers looking to enjoy the beautiful natural scenery their country has to offer. Throughout April, there was an all-consuming fear shared by police and civilians alike that he would strike again, and they were all at his mercy. Carpenter had made fast friends with one of his co-workers, Heather Roxanne Skaggs. Mm -hmm. She was 20 years old, blonde, blue-eyed, and pretty. Heather grew up in Long Beach, moving up the coast to San Jose in 1979 Mm -hmm. after she finished high school. Carpenter would occasionally drive her home. Mm, In the Fiat? In the Fiat. David preyed on her desire of having her own car and told her he had a buddy down in Santa Cruz who had a pretty much brand new used car that he'd be willing to part with for $400 down and $1,400 altogether. Heather, sounds, of course, was interested. That sounds like a trick. They do the same trick to this day online. Oh, but you got to send me the check first. Oh, oh, you got to suck my dick. Mm. That's what it all comes down to. Mm-hmm. Sucking dick. I mean, I'm not going to give you my shit first unless I get my shit first. You're sounding like a real David Carpenter right now. <sighs> I'm just saying, you're not going to scare me. Herschel, has your last name always been Spencer? Yeah. Are you in the Witness Protection Program? <laughs> Witness Protection Program? No. <laughs> Though some may think that. Throughout the month of April, Carpenter would constantly bring up the great car his friend had, but Heather was very resistant about going off into an isolated area with an older man she hardly knew. Carpenter became insistent on the subject. The nail in the coffin to convince her was the prospect of collecting ferns. Heather was mm-hmm. a passionate collector of ferns and mosses and wanted samples from I the don't Santa even Cruz know what area. Ferns are. They're plants, right? <laughs> Pretty stupid reason to go. Oh, okay. Ferns? Ferns and mosses. She loved mosses, too. She had samples. Randy Moss. Between two ferns. Zach Galifianakis. Mmm. 
I never heard of that shit, though, but I've heard of the actor. Yes, you have. I like him. Heather agreed, but only if she could bring her boyfriend, Dan. Mm. This is what our boy David says. Heather, my friend is very nervous about strangers. This is a terrific deal on the car, and I'd hate to see you miss it. I personally know a lot about cars, and if you don't like it, I'll take it back. No questions asked. Mm -mm. On Saturday, May 2, Heather grabbed her $400 and told her roommates and boyfriend Pingle if she doesn't call by 3 p.m. to get worried, and if she doesn't show up by 7 to call the police. The previous night, Heather had called her mother to ask for advice, and under no circumstances did she want Heather to get anywhere near this old man. Mm, yeah, sound like a trick. Sounds like a trick. No, well, no, man. Don't allow another dude to come. What you mean? Yeah. Okay, She'll be able to, yeah, this is a, a purchase. My pal's scared of strangers. No, you're scared of strangers because you want to rape and kill Heather. And, and, I'm like, and I'm like, this is a big purchase. Big purchase. A vehicle. You know, especially at that time. You know the the just the 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 price point and how much the dollar was. Now friends time. later would say mm-hmm. completely in her personality to yeah. to get a great deal on a car and then like surprise all of her friends and be like, "Whoa, look at my rad ass car!" You know. But still, that's uh, don't do that. Be less trusting. Oh, so she would often fall into these. She would like, yeah. She loved surprising people and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um. All right. All right, bad. Yeah, just yeah, still a bad call. Yeah, it is, but I see. I get it. She did yeah. this plenty of times. <laughs> this is I'm blue eyed. I could do this. Heather waited at the Shop and Go Mart on the corner of Willow and Cotenberg, where she purchased a Diet Coke and waited outside for David to come collect her. She had left Carpenter's name, number, and address taped to the bedroom mirror just in case. Mm, At 5.30 p.m., Heather's boyfriend Pingle called the police, who informed him he had to wait until the next day before he could file a missing persons report. Next, he called Heather's mom in Long Beach and told her that Heather had, in fact, gone on the trip and now had not returned. Mm-hmm. At 7.55 p.m., David Carpenter met his friend Jeff Jackal at the Opera House. The two men were going to see the premiere of a new ballet called A Song for Dead Warriors. Mm. At 10.30 p.m., after the show, Carpenter dropped off Jackal and headed for home. Pingle was parked in front of Carpenter's home and had positioned himself on the top step of the stairs leading up to the building. Carpenter pulled up and parked in front of the house. As he got out, Pingle could see the older man was dressed for a night on the town. He was bounding up the steps when he caught sight of Pingle in the shadows. Who's there? He was startled, pulling back from him. Worst nightmare, motherfucker. He was standing up in his full fighting frame. And Dan says, it's me, Pingle, Heather's boyfriend. When's the last time you saw her? Carpenter appeared confused and said he had not seen her since work. Uh, Pingle says, uh, that's not what I was told. You were supposed to pick her up this morning. David says, oh, that, I overslept, and I told her if I didn't show up by 8.15, not to wait for me, and we'd just go do it another day. No stuttering. Uh, Exactly. He he went right back to defensive, cool, Oh, yeah, man, you know, uh, man, she's a bitch. (laughs) I was at a party last night where I drank a bunch and smoked a bunch of pot. Besides, I had to take my car in to get fixed. It broke down and I was stuck in the city. Pingle looked over to the car, which had just gotten Carpenter home safely. And David says, no, 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 I got it back before noon. Here's the receipt. He fumbled through his jacket pocket and brought it out. After reading the receipt from Tony's service station, Pingle handed it back to Carpenter and left, fuming, before warning the older man that Heather had better be found soon. Later, Pingle said, 
He didn't know where she was, but I didn't believe him. He was cool as a cucumber under stress. He kept his hand in his pocket, jingling change, and said he hadn't met Heather that Saturday and never went to meet her even. Who does he think he's fooling? Yeah, you suspect number one. Number one. The following day, Dan Pingle arrived at the San Jose Police Department and filled out a missing persons report. Meanwhile, Heather's mother, Mary Skaggs, had flown in and was staying at her daughter's apartment. She remained calm and went to Carpenter and her daughter's workplace, EcoPrint, where she learned from his bosses that David had a long history of sex offenses. Dissatisfied with the worthless police... Yeah, because I need to hear this. I think I heard you, but I need to hear this. Oh my God. Dissatisfied with the worthless police effort to this point, Mary Skaggs went to the San Jose Mercury News and a story about the missing girl ran Mm -hmm. front page Monday morning. Buckling to public pressure, the case was finally assigned to the best investigator in the department, Ken Womack. Mm-hmm. So Womack at this time was probably the top, the best yeah. of the, the 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 creme de la creme. Well, the, the of best San of, Jose detectives, the best yeah. of the shittiest. So that so that made he probably wasn't all that either. Let's go ahead. If he if he's the best, I right, come on, let's do it. Because all you got to do is just do everything by the book. Yeah, work backwards yeah. from there. Yeah. Do everything by the book. Yep. Womack rung up Carpenter's parole officer Woods and set up a meeting for Friday, May eighth. David agreed, but asked Woods if they could have lunch before the meeting with the detectives. When Carpenter walked into the restaurant, Woods was surprised because David had a big, neatly trimmed beard that he'd never have before. Woods could tell that David knew the heat was on, Mm -hmm. and his opinion was, if David is guilty, you gotta get him off the streets. But if he's cleared of this, it needs to be soon, because as far as Woods can tell, David Carpenter was a great parolee, trying to make it back into the world. Right. That's a manipulation. Halfway through their lunch, while David was explaining how he couldn't be connected with the Skaggs murder or any of the other one, Carpenter looked into Wood's eyes, and the officer knew then he had done these crimes. Hell yeah, dude. It all clicked into place for the veteran parole officer. This man changed his entire attitude while he was on parole. He wasn't rehabilitated. He'd evolved. He learned the two most valuable Mm -hmm. lessons of all after being testified against and doing 18 years total in prison. Tell people what they want to hear, and dead witnesses can't testify. Back at the station, Santa Cruz detectives Womack and Robinson were waiting, salivating. Dude, this is for him to me, for him. This is a, we already scored the touchdown. All you gotta do is just kick the goddamn field goal. That's it. And because th- it's already in place. You did the years in jail. Like, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not him, it's you. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because you're around. It's too, it's too, it's just too much. Yeah. It's just too much. Even, it's, it's not, co- yeah. it's not coincidence. No. It can't be. It can't is be. the thing. Well, you it's certainly two, not. Two, two times you did the stints. For, for what we talking about. Remember? Trying to rape that lady and bashing yeah. her brains in with a hammer. Oh, this, Yeah. Raping that teacher. This is what we're talking about. This is your MO. No, David's. Adam's totally (laughs) fine. (laughs) Carpenter told the detectives the exact same story, including breaks for breaths and hand motions that he told Woods at lunch. Now everybody knew he was lying. (laughs) This was enough to pique the FBI's interest, finally. What you mean, breaks and... Breaks for breaths and stuff. But did it like a script, like it was a monologue. So he did. He told it to him the exact same story the that he just way. told Woods. Yeah. And, and I did my hand like this. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's crazy. He's it crazy. This was enough to pique the FBI's interest, and they approved round-the-clock surveillance on Carpenter for the next two weeks. Warrants were signed and sealed. When they took Carpenter, it would be a small team of officers, one from each county and an FBI agent. The thought process was, if there was going to be trouble, they didn't want press of 50 cops thumping on them because they all would have. Yeah. So just four or five is a little better than 50. No, I would have been mishandling the whole way. Certainly. Certainly. Oh, he would have gotten a few rib pokes from me. Oh, yeah. He would have got put in the car the wrong way and everything. <sighs> Ass backwards? Yeah. Duck your head. Oh, <laughs> God, you can tell me right then. <laughs> Duck your head. Everything was in place March 15th to make the arrest. At 7.10 a.m., Carpenter emerged from his front door in khaki work clothes carrying a plastic bag marked Shoes. As David descended towards his car, detectives were wary if they made a move and the 38 Rossi was in the bag, he could blow whatever cop was coming towards him away. The four detectives swiftly opened their doors and began moving towards Carpenter. David was making a beeline for his Fiat. Mm. He was putting his keys in the door when he saw the detective's reflection in the window. Police asked him what was in the bag, and Carpenter said he wasn't saying another word and held on to it with both hands. He began to try and open the Fiat's door and was slammed against it in a flash and clapped in cuffs. At the same time, 50 other men came crashing down on the street from their cars and hiding places to back up the arresting officers. Carpenter's mouth looked like a fish gulping around from person to person as they circled in on him. He offered no resistance and wasn't worried about the bag's contents. It turned out to be just some Wagner records and a little bit of pot. The police put him in a lineup, inviting everyone who had made a report to participate. Steve Hurdle, boyfriend of Ellen, who was killed on the trail, mm-hmm. went to the station after recovery to endure the ordeal of seeing again the man who shot and killed his girlfriend. Man. Despite the newly grown beard hiding Carpenter's face, Steve quickly picked him out as the perp. The Post Standard indicated that six out of the seven witnesses did the same, although several were iffy. They said it might be him, it might not be. Yeah, that beard. Then, decomposed remains of a female were found in Big Basin Redwoods Park on Sunday, May 24th. Her killer had apparently tried to hide her body under a lot of brush. He'd removed her clothing and taken everything except an earring, similar to an earlier murder. Mm -hmm. An analysis of the dental work indicated that this was Heather Skaggs. She had been raped and shot once through the eye with a thirty-eight. On June 16, 1981, in Castle Rock State Park, rock climbers came across a jawbone. At the urging of acquaintances, they brought it in and the police sent it for analysis. Proved to be human. With further testing, it was identified to be the partial remains of a 17-year-old high school student, the, Anna uh, K. Menyavar, missing since December 28th mm, the previous year. This motherfucker got bodies on top of bodies. He would never be charged with that one, by the way, because there was no proof. Carpenter was formally charged with the five Marin County killings, Ann Alderson, Diane O'Connell, Shauna May, Cynthia Moreland, and Richard Stowers, two rapes and an attempted rape. The police had recovered the 38 that he'd given to a friend to hide. Uh, he was uh, he was some stupid bank robber that wanted no part in protecting a serial killer. Hell no. And uh, now they had everything to move forward. Given its inflammatory nature in the Santa Cruz and San Francisco area, the venue was shifted 300 miles away to Los Angeles to avoid jury contamination. People that have been keeping up on the case and the news right. and all that stuff. Carpenter insisted he was innocent and continued to do so throughout the trials. 
His first trial was for the murders of Heather Skaggs and Ellen Hansen and the attempted of Steve Hurdle. Started October 11th, 1983, after several lengthy delays, the judge seated one jury to decide his guilt and a second one to decide the penalty in the event of a conviction. Along with the alternates, this made for a substantial body of people for the attorneys to address. He probably thought he was going to get off to that shit. With that many jurors, probably. But the thing is, uh, in order to get death penalty in California, you have to prove special circumstances that another crime was happening in the commission of this crime. So let's say it's a murder. It also has to be like a kidnap murder, mm. a rape murder, uh, a this, robbery murder. Cover up it murder. has to be two crimes. It has to be two two yeah, crimes okay. back to back, and then they can sentence you to death. Well, but it's not like people get killed in California. Honestly, I thought after the third conviction, though, they got the three strike. When they come up with the three, that's strike? not death though. That's not like you it's stole three Snickers. You it's death, just yeah. life in jail. Life, no, no parole. No, right? No death penalty. Twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Even though what you he's stole doing, three Snickers, but death. what he's doing three times, rape kills and another rape kill, then a few more. All you need is one rape kill to get death penalty. Carpenter's gun had been linked to each of the murders and Steve Hurdle's testimony identifying Carpenter as the attacker who shot him and killed his girlfriend was persuasive. It was no surprise that after six weeks of testimony, the eight-woman, four-man jury deliberated for eight hours over the course of two and a half days to reach their verdict. On July 6, 1984, David Carpenter was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and one count attempt murder. The second jury found three special circumstances that warranted the death penalty, committing multiple murders, committing murder during a rape, and the premeditation, the lying in wait, where he was stalking and he had all of his little crime scenes planned out already. His shack in the first episode and all that stuff. The pre-med, man. Uh-huh. Carpenter was to be given the death sentence via execution, of course, in San Quentin's gas chamber. A sentence that's still hanging over his head to this day. He is, at 91 years old, the oldest man on death row. Still alive. The oldest man on death row. It seems like they still try to let him get away with it. They don't kill people That's in California. Me. They don't kill people in California. The last okay. person they killed was that Mookie Mookie Williams, something like that. He was the leader of the Crips. Now, I don't know if this story, this is a story. Somebody was supposed to be executed, and then he escaped. And then, so he escaped all this time, and they stopped, they abolished it, the whole execution. And then they found him again. Do you still execute him? No. Because it's over. That's commuted to a life sentence now. Yeah. If it's abolished. Okay. Yeah. California just doesn't do it. Okay. It's le- It's like super, you can get death penalty in California, but they just don't kill people. I mean, he keep, well, he's got life now, but he's, I feel like. His life's feel, over. He's 91 yeah, goddamn years old. I still feel like old. that's, he should, that's, he, that's more, that's less. He needs more. He needs to die. Yeah. Feel yeah. It. Gas chamber yeah. for sure. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast X. X. We will see you next week. Yep. Uh, Same bat time, same bat channel. Yep. All right. That's been Herschel. Thank you very much for joining us. My name has been Adam. Thank you very much for joining us. That's been Nevada correspondent girlfriend Kylie. Thank you very much for joining us. All right, everybody. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye. (laughs) 